Christmas time, the season of goodwill to all. A seasonal family gathering like many others is taking place in California. Presents piled high under the tree, large and small, thoughtfully purchased gifts or ones grabbed from the back of the cupboard and hastily re-wrapped when you realised you forgot some random third cousin who would be attending the gathering. There is a knock at the door. Oh, it must be the neighbours as everyone else is here. A small child rushes to open the door and greet the visitor. It's Father Christmas! But this is not just a bad Santa. He is a murderous one. And by the end of the day, nine people aged 17 to 80 at that family party were killed by one man consumed by hatred. This is the case of Bruce Pardo, also known as the Corvina Massacre. And this is Murder Me on Monday. Ho, ho, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Murder Me Monday podcast. I am Cameron, and joined with me is Mother. Hello. So, yeah, this is, uh, I guess, it's a wrap. This is the last one we're going to be doing for the year. By the time it comes out for you guys, it's going to be the 20th. So, yeah. I mean, it's a week before, it's almost a week before Christmas. But, yeah, it's a whole year of podcasts that we've done. It's been a wild ride, hasn't it? I'm, I'm going back and re-editing some of the old podcasts. We said some, we said some funny stuff. This this isn't like a year's recap of the podcast. We definitely said some funny stuff. Often but, inadvertently. Yeah, by accident. It's me getting annoyed. Or you or you saying something funny without like realising what you're saying is funny. But, man, this, the editing at the beginning kind of sucked. That's The scripts are good because I'm listening to it. And I'm, at the end, I'm thinking, no, I'm the one that's done something bad. But it's also as well, you've got updated software. We've got updated bits of kit. Oh, yeah, we've got like we've, a full mix of mic set up now rather than just a random microphone I had. We've also gotten good at keeping the dog amused and so the, he doesn't... And the cat distracted. Cameron called me to listen to the first episode again as he was trying to remaster it. And all you could hear was the bloody dog yodeling in the just, background. You can just hear the dog in the background whining to be let in. So we apologise for that. So we also want to say um, the world shutting down was the catalyst to starting the podcast. And we, as we head into year three of lockdown, we're going to be staying with you. A huge thanks to all our listeners old ones uh, who have been with us since day one, and all you wonderful new ones. Thank you, UK, USA, Australia, Canada, France, Romania, Italy, India, and all the far-fung places that I'm 100% convinced are VPNs. I know you are, Cameron. Yeah, yeah, we've got some like, out of Mongolia. Like, no one's listening to a podcast on true crime. No, it's, it's definitely a VPN. Yeah. So back in January, as we started this, we, I'd, I'd had thoughts on grouping types of cases together. But, well, we've decided to stick with my tried and tested method of finding a case that piques my what-the-hell meter and hoping you also enjoy going forward. So let's crack on with this week, yeah? Father Christmas is recognised the world over and the origins of his current form wearing a red coat is generally accepted to come from a famous drink, soft drinks manufacturer in 1931. You can say Coca-Cola, mother. Oh, all right, fair enough. We, you, we don't need to say... <laughs> it, it's not like, here's a car you can win and not say it's a Mercedes. You can say it's a Coke. Coca-Cola made Santa red. Yeah. It was green before that. Yeah, but the, actually the earliest evidence of him as a person actually as such could be traced back to the 15th century song. The playwright Ben Johnson is behind the grandfatherly image we now see, and it was actually from a play performed for the royal family in 1616. So that's the end of the history lesson. That was stuff I didn't know. I knew about 
coke, obviously. Everybody knows about that. So I'm not sure how important it is to differentiate between Father Christmas or Santa Claus. I'm sure for some there's very important distinctions, but we only have so long for the podcast. So for this episode, I'll be using the terms interchangeably. This case is one that many people will know, but there are some aspects to it that tend to get lost as they're tacked on at the end or sometimes missed entirely. But to me, they actually explain who this guy was. I know whenever a podcast or someone has to create a story around Christmas time, they tend to do this case from what I've been told, because I've asked you, can we do some more high-profile cases? Yeah. Partly just for search engine optimization, and because if it's a bigger case, it's usually been covered quite heavily, and therefore I can ask the weird details and be like, yeah, but what did he have for breakfast on the day he did it? Because someone probably would have found out. And I don't know why I want to know that. Weird curiosities, right? This being the the ultimate Santa murder thing kind yeah. of ticks all of those boxes, doesn't it? But I don't know where he had for breakfast. But I actually, I do know where he had it. See, that's what I mean. Actually, I do know what he had for breakfast now you've said that. I didn't put See? it in the script, but I do actually See, know this. That's what I mean. I, I, I want to know these, these finer details, almost like a dramatisation. Well, this is why we started the podcast, because I got sick of listening to podcasts, and I'm going, but yeah, but, but. Where yeah, was like, the- like, where are their nipples? Where? Why did he <laughs> cut his knob off? As I said, the, the, this guy, hint, hint, he's a nasty, nasty piece of work, and it, it goes somewhat to explaining his drivers. And this, this is the biggest Christmas thing. Yeah, or, it is. The biggest... The one that Christmas most people one, do people know. There know, are yeah. others. I've seen others, but this was the one I'd picked on. And it, because it's so big, there is so much research out there. So it's fairly useful. Do you think in movies, they would all caricature what's happened in this? If, if they have a bad sense around Christmas, almost like a horror movie, do you think they caricature this guy? I think from what I've been, dis- what's, what's been described or what's been said, I'm getting a vision of there's a guy dressed up as Santa in um, American Horror Story. Yes, you're and correct. He, uh, I'm basically getting those vibes from this. You are correct. You are absolutely correct. Is that in the script? That it... No, but that is he. This case has been the inspiration for a number of bad Santa caricatures in various media. Yeah. Media, yeah, definitely. I'm going to say early on, all I see is a man who's driven by money, not necessarily greed, but money. Everything I own is mine, and I will not share with anyone. This is that's what I believe this guy's drivers are. I know I say don't touch my shit. That's because you move my stuff without me knowing, and then I gaslight myself into thinking I've lost it, and it's not. It's just because you air quote moved it, tidied up usually. But yeah, um, yeah. Parents, children living at home, you know where I'm coming from. There's some possibly going to be some contentious views of the motives for the final act. And fair warning, folks, it could get heated. You all by now know that Cameron does enjoy a rant. And I could see this one going off slightly sideways, but I don't know. No, you've said that before, but I've, I think I've agreed with you. or I've agreed with your sentiments before. So I might not. You might start off one way and end up the other. We'll, we'll see, because you only, you've only got an outline of this. You don't know the, the, the minor details that I've obviously drilled down into. So... We've got a family annihilator and a spree killing all wrapped up in this case. It's termed a massacre because that's exactly what it was. And as by now, if you've stayed with us throughout our journey, you will all know I like to tell a story in the order that things happen if possible. So off we go. Is that that for you or do you find it makes it more of a cohesive listening experience? I find if you start off with the major event, people are so drawn in by that, they then sort of zone out. And they miss the finer details. They so if they if you're told what happened immediately, all the yeah. all the big bang, the explosions, the yeah, 
cinematic stuff if you like and then you got into the finer details I, I i think as well and the way that you do it if you were to do it the other way i'd kind of get lost because it's not following it chronologically you'd be, you'd be questioning what yeah but what, uh, i question it i question it now when it's chronological is ordered at least so i think it's better that way well, it's probably our brains probably work the same yeah. sort of way so bruce jeffrey pardo was born on the 23rd of march 1963 in the san fernando valley in los angeles county california don't know exactly where, as the San Fernando Valley is approximately 260 square miles. I didn't know that. Nor do we know anything about his childhood or his background, which is unfortunate, as I suspect it may well have in- influenced the adult he turned out to be. He has siblings, doesn't he? He has a brother called Brad. And as the time this all took place, Brad's still alive and his mother, who's called Nancy, is still alive. Okay, so... We know that he graduated from the California State University at Northridge and he worked as a very well-paid electronics engineer. Now, that is a direct cut and drop from somewhere, but I'll get into that. That's not the whole story. Some of the back maths. Um, Yeah. Bruce wasn't a model employee, apparently. His first major job, he spent hacking the computers, the the company's computer systems. And he was rooting around in people's personnel files. Don't know how we got access to him, but he's, a, you know, he's sometimes he's called an electronics engineer. Other times he's called a software engineer. So it might have been yeah, two very big different things. Yeah. Like very different fields. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, you can't actually lock down which he was. But if he's getting into people's stuff, it sounds like he's more software computer science mm-hmm. than he is mm-hmm. electric. He was nosing around in people's salary and tax information and all the rest of it. And apparently he wasn't particularly good. He didn't have a very good attendance record, but mm-hmm. so what? But despite all of this, by 1988, at the age of 24, he found himself engaged to Delilah, a fellow employee. So Bruce was still living with his mother, Apparently, he wasn't in the best financial shape. 24 years old, not long out of university. Completely understandable. Delilah. That's only in the 80s, though. Yeah, late so 80s. It, it wouldn't have been that much. No. It, it wouldn't have been that expensive. Like, How much is a semester there? Probably about a grand. No, not in the US. In the 80s, mother. Mm, Go, going, back, going back then, that's probably not far off. I'm sure some of our listeners will know. They've been absolutely wonderful trying to find out who the Pokemon are that we're looking for and suggesting some brilliant cases. But anyway, Delilah agreed to pay for the wedding and the wedding reception at the county club um, and also the honeymoon in Tahiti. So quite nice, right? The big day arrives on June the 17th, 1989. Delilah waited at the church with family and friends, but Bruce never showed up. She later discovered that he'd withdrawn $3,000 from their joint bank account and took a trip of his own to Palm Springs, Florida. That's party town, isn't it? And as it was a joint bank account, she couldn't do anything about the missing money either. So, hmm, I wonder if she went off on that honeymoon by herself. People do that a lot nowadays, so I wouldn't blame her. Didn't we cover a case that happened? What? Where somebody went on honeymoon by themselves? Yeah. Or they killed the wife not long beforehand and then fucked off themselves. That that either we haven't or I've I don't know. It could have been from CSI watching it as a child and it's just absorbed into my brain. Yeah, that's why I wondered where she went on it. So poor Delilah was stood up at the altar, but after what happens, I'm guessing she was left thinking, "Thank her lucky stars." Standing her up was shitty behaviour for sure, but it happens. We know that. So up until this point, he's not a bad lad. In 1999, he was in a relationship with. It's spelt two different ways, but I think it's Eleanor. Eleanor Lucano. 
which is described as on again, off again. And they had a child called Matthew. Bruce would have been in his mid-30s by this point. 2001, Matthew is 13 months old and being looked after by his father when Eleanor went food shopping. They lived together, apparently. What's the report of their relationship like up until this point? Just a... There is no report. It's just a normal... It, not from anyone's side, What from his... No. From his partner's family... No. Neighbours, friends. Again, it's one of these things where they don't want to talk about it, which... Uh, yeah, I can understand, given the context of us having a true crime podcast. It's not going to end well, is it? No, yeah. Anyone mentioned is probably dead or in prison. So, Eleanor goes off food shopping. Perfectly normal. I mean, God's sakes, it's nothing more annoying than going to a supermarket and you've got the two parents and 15 kids running around. They've only got one. Yeah, I know, but you know what I mean. So, I understand why she just probably wanted to get out of the house. She wasn't gone long. Doesn't say how long, but I was guessing about an hour max. But when she got home, Bruce is stood there holding the unconscious body of Matthew and apparently having a complete and utter meltdown, as you would. You've got your unconscious child and you panic. Matthew was rushed to the local hospital and he was resuscitated because he was completely out of it. And then he was airlifted to the world-renowned paediatric trauma centre in L.A., So how did Matthew end up needing to be resuscitated? According to what Bruce told everyone, he'd been watching TV, got distracted, Matthew had slipped away and fallen in the pool. Any parent will tell you... 14 months old. 13 months old, yeah. 13 months old. Yeah. Any parent will tell you that children are like moths to a flame with trouble. Blink, and they're gone. We we had a discussion the other day... um, about children that just run away. Yeah. <laughs> you're walking somewhere and they go and they just, boom, they just run off. Yeah. You take off like Usain Bolt to get out to, yeah, to grab them. But, yeah. you, but you're aware that this happens. So you, you especially around swimming pools, man, that's the first thing well, that's, that's the first thing they teach. If you have a kid where, and you have a swimming pool, they basically live in inflatables, don't they? Yeah. Or, or a lot of people now have these railings. Yeah, you have a guard around it. Yeah. Uh, children children like this are also why we have covers on electrical sockets. They're like kittens up Christmas trees. You literally, anything that they could possibly get into, they will. And then stuff you didn't even think of, they will. We used to have a saying in my household, um, so-and-so's coming around, bringing the children. And the word was everything up a height. And you literally grabbed anything. Anything that was, a child can grab. Yeah, under three foot. And it was put up on a high shelf. So doctors eventually tell Matthew's parents that he'd suffered extensive brain damage. So assume that's lack of oxygen. Yeah. If, if that to resuscitate him. Yep. yep. So hypoxia would that be? Where the cause the brain damage is caused by I know you can intentionally enter hypoxic states because there are some weird health benefits. I know it's weird you got you get health benefits from like high oxygen content and low oxygen content. So I imagine if it's in the brain it's it is would be hypoxic. You're not getting brain you got to get oxygen to the tissue. Yeah, but it's it's being monitored, and this was catastrophic. And oh yeah, yeah, like you, break, literally starvation of the brain for oxygen. We don't know how long he was under that water for. And you don't know how long from the time of when he gets taken out to when he gets sent to the, the hospital. Yeah, exactly. Then how he's long, being resourced and yeah, sent exactly. across again. The end result of this that is that Matthew will be severely disabled for life and in a wheelchair for life. Is he is he mentally? handicapped as a result or is it i believe physical? so yes. okay yeah, um, again i'm imagining because of the subsequent brain trauma yes from drowning so lots of people cannot cope with such a change in a relationship it's it's no surprise that eleanor and bruce split for good six months after the accident do you think he could have done something different where like, like shaking baby 
baby wants to start crying, they, people get irritated and they juggle the kid. And then he thinks, fuck, I've done that. And then he could have chucked the kid in the pool. And there you go, listeners. That's is, what it, is, I... is that what you've written down and what is said to happen? Kind of, yeah. 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 Eleanor is a good person, but Matthew will need care for life. And we all know how expensive medical bills are in the USA. And Bruce... You, right, there's something I read about that. A, uh, people already know this, I don't need to say it. You go to hospital, always ask for an itemised bill because then they can reduce the cost by a shitload. And if you earn under something like $60,000, you can basically get the whole thing written off. It's a long, it's a long process, but you can get the whole thing written off. Yeah, well, a, lot, a lot of people don't know that. I didn't, I, I didn't know that until recently. Bruce wasn't earning that kind of money, but he was earning a lot more than that. But it's, it, as, you, as we said, he's supposedly earning a stonking load of money, but it's not actually as big as you think it is. But Bruce apparently was consumed with guilt over the accident. So Eleanor, as I said, she was a good person. She only went after his homeowner's insurance to help pay the medical costs and not after him personally, which is what her lawyer actually wanted her to do. Is Have they separated at this point? Yeah, they split six months after this accident. A lot of people can't cope when there's a, a tr- yeah, disabled when there's child. A, when there's, or when there's just trauma in the family. When, when yeah. someone gets, if a child gets lost, it puts a strain on the relationship for obvious reasons. Yeah. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure if he would then use his homeowner's insurance to recoup some of the money for them or she went after him specifically because I thought if they're together, how can you do that? I'm not sure. If, do you know what I mean? You can. You can still Cause, do cause, that. Because I'm not sure if it's she'd have to claim on it or he'd, or he'd claim on it on... They weren't married, so she would claim on behalf of Matthew as Matthew's locus and parentis in, and would go after the homeowner's insurance that way, but they were split, yeah. Because I, I'm thinking, for example, if you reverse out of the drive and you hit my car, Mm-hmm. whose insurance would then go through to get it fixed for it to make the least amount of issue. Do you know what I mean? And a similar thing with this. Who's, whose thing would you go through through those two to get it fixed? But like you say, because he'd already fucked off. It doesn't matter. She's going after him. Yeah. yeah. Well, she goes after his homeowner. She doesn't go after him. Her lawyer wanted her to go after him, but she, she didn't want to do that because he was so consumed with guilt. Hold on. You're pulling faces at me. Matthew's medical bills were 340000 in the first year alone. Eleanor got a hundred thousand from the insurance, and two hundred and forty dollars a month for life care. That's nothing. Okay, so I just did the basic maths. That would take one hundred and eighteen years of that monthly pay to cover one year of his actual medical costs. Yeah, Eleanor was on the hook for everything else. She... That's a functioning system, isn't yeah. it? Mm. So Bruce was so filled with remorse that he never paid a penny from his own money, and after August 2002, he stopped communicating with Eleanor and his son and never saw either of them again. Funnily enough, we also discover later that he's claiming for Matthew as a dependent on his taxes, although he's not paying a penny towards him. It's not quite the same as this, but if you lend your friend £20 and they keep dodging you, and I don't want to give it back to you, or the communication drops. It's only cost you $20 to get rid of someone. It's it's cost you $20 to remove someone toxic from your life. At least this guy is away from those two at this point. If if he's bad enough to put, to drown his kid, essentially, and then disappear, poof. Like, good. That's a good thing he's gone. Sure, you're not getting the financial input, but imagine how much worse your life would be with him there. It's it's only cost you that much monetarily to get rid of him. Yeah, my so-called friend, um, I realised there was a problem when I'd gone round there to see them. They knew I was coming, but they'd gone out. They saw me coming back and they dived into a hedge. <laughs> that, that's definitely a skit from it somewhere, was, isn't it? it? That's it a Ricky was, Gervais skit. It was 15 quid, 15 pounds. That was all it was, but yeah. 
So, again, you were right. What came out after this final event, there were a lot of suspicions around the accident. There was the thought that Bruce didn't want to be a father and he certainly didn't want to pay for the child. So was it deliberate? I think it was. He did stay with him in intensive care for a week when it first happened. So was he looking for another chance to bump him off? You don't know if he's if he is feeling some weird conflict of guilt when this yeah. has happened at the time or if it's, that's what you have to do because that's what ex- is, expect- is expected of you yeah. is to stay there. Or I'm sat there being me suspicious thinking he was looking whether he could switch something off. Yeah. But in intensive care, you're being monitored constantly. There's nurses on the go constantly. You're never left alone. I think it's more the social contract of he, he's expected to stay. I'm not sure that he's actually capable of that. No, but it, it, if people are manipulative... Mm. They are they are aware of it. They just don't agree with it or don't want to conform to it. Mm. So that so that that's how they manipulate people by making people think they do, when they've got ulterior motives. Yeah. So that is his first serious big relationship. Well, well, he gets engaged, stands her up, then we have a a partner, has a child, and it's all gone quiet until he meets a lady called Sylvia Orza in two thousand and four through a coworker. He, at the time, was working for an, uh, as an electronic engineer, it said, for a defence contractor in Van Nuys. And it said he was earning six figures. He had a nice life. He liked his toys. He had a Cadillac Escalade, a Hummer. I also read about a Miata and a boat that he had moored out on a local lake. Oh, uh, fuck boats. <laughs> uh, yeah, but the, boys and their toys. So the, the the saying is the two best days of when you buy a, when you get a boat is the day you buy it and the day you sell, sell it. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he and Sylvia decide to get married in two thousand and six. She had three children from a previous um, relationships. The the last one was a five year old, and that was the one that lived with her. How long had they been? About two years. Dating? They met yeah, in two thousand four, and now it's six. Yeah. yeah, they all seem to get along fine. So why not get married? Bruce would have been 43 and going into his first ever marriage. The couple even buy a nice, new, very large and expensive home in a place called Montrose. Sylvia brings all her furniture to the home to furnish it. They got a dog and they'd actually built up savings at $85,000. Oh, good, yes. You, the way that you've... It's that sort of thing you've been... You've been sounding, at least for me, because I can see your face. You seem sceptical every time you mention like, how much money he earns. Mm-hmm. But if he's, if he's saved up 85k, that means there is something going good. Yeah, but we're talking in the late 80s here, so early no, 90s. No, no, he's, no, no, 2006. Sorry, 2006. Fucking, that's the first time I didn't get, I knew I got, a date. Got me, that, right. got me dates wrong, yeah. It's only taken a year. I don't know how they managed to do it, but I, I have my suspicions. But So it's not all good, obviously not, because we wouldn't be here otherwise. Said he, we're right. His salary everywhere is touted at six figures, but there's a huge difference between a hundred thousand dollars and nine hundred thousand dollars, isn't there? And he wasn't on high six figures. I actually found out he was on a hundred twenty-two thousand dollars, which would be about one hundred fifty-seven thousand at today's money. Convert directly, but buying power was definitely much higher then. Well, that's, that's pre-recession. That, that the buying power is uh, much higher. Hold on, hold on. It's it's not for the area. Where they lived, it's an expensive area. Yeah, if, especially in the States. If you say, I'm only 60K, people go, that, bro, that's like McDonald's wages in LA. And they're like, yeah, but I live in... in Bumfuck nowhere, In yeah. the middle of buttfuck nowhere, yeah. yeah. So 2008, it's also as well, just before the last crash, isn't it? So it probably did give a nice life, especially that they managed to save all of that money. But Sylvia was only earning $31,000, which is about $40,000 now. So it's not the lap of luxury that all these, the Hummer... 
the Miata, the boat. Beyond the means, yeah. It's it, And how did they get their $85,000 from that? Hmm? But married, happily sharing, what's mine is yours, etc. No, of course not. We wouldn't be here otherwise. Bruce decides that although he's married to the, their mother, Sylvia's children are not his financial responsibility. And I get that. I really do. But I also wonder then why bother getting married? Taxes, maybe. We've covered that in previous episodes. Filing joint taxes can save you a stonking amount of money. And he's claiming for Matthew. But I that got me confused because if you file together, would you not find out the other one's doing that? But it, she may have left it all to him to do. And it depends on the types of investigation they're doing. No, the filing of the taxes. If you file jointly... I thought you had to sign each other, but maybe what, she just. What didn't. is it going under when it's going up back for Matthew? That's, I mean, it, it's it, a dependent. He's been filed as a dependent. That's what he was claiming. You don't know what he spun. No, her. but I know, sure as eggs is eggs, Sylvia did not know about Matthew. So I, I suspect he filled in both lots and said, "Just sign there." When you said he don't, you understand why he doesn't. He doesn't want to be like financially responsible for his other kids. And you said you understand that. Do you want to elaborate slightly more? Because otherwise, you're like, "Fucking, I agree with him." Because I... there, there is a difference between completely. When you marry someone that's already got a pre-existing family, to then completely devote then your money onto that as well. But you should also do, you should also do that, I think, because then they are now part of your family. But they also got their own father I, as well. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of understand why he doesn't want to pay for the other children because they've got. I don't know whether she had three children, two from one relationship, one from another. I don't know if the fathers were in the picture. So I don't know if they were contributing. And if they're not in, but e- even if so if they're not, then my instinct would be, well, then you should because then it's the child. They might they might be deceased. No, no, I'm saying no. That's what I'm talking about. Like with the kids, if the, if the kids aren't having their like financial needs met for stuff, then you should you should do that because then it's the kids that are suffering as a result. And if they are, but then they're still not getting the, the needs for it, then you should then do it as well. I don't see it's it's the kids. I'm looking at it from the kids' perspective that you should do that. I totally and utterly agree, but I also understand why some people may not yeah. want to. Yeah, so, so so what you mean is you understand why he's done it, but you don't agree with him doing it. Absolutely. Okay, I was just elaborating there, because I'm yeah. like, you sound like a baddie when you say that. So no, just double-checking. No, no I, absolutely, I, I absolutely do agree with that. I think we are at the position with Bruce that we have already displayed that he has no compassion for anybody else. He's He's got no parental... Drive. Drivers yeah. that would make him want to bring yeah. these children up. 2007, Bruce's mum, Nancy, put that little state of affairs where Sylvia did not know about Matthew right when she found out what Bruce was up to. She felt sorry for Sylvia, the fact that he wasn't compu- contributing anything to really helping her bring the children up and how she was being treated. And she was also, his mother, Nancy, was still in contact with Eleanor and Matthew. And she was trying to help where she could. So she was a good woman. She was an even better woman. We'll find out at the end. What went wrong with her flipping son, though, I I don't know. And I suspect this is why she was doing it. She was probably, what the hell happened? What did I do wrong? Did I drop him on his head and didn't remember? He's... I've been dropped, haven't I, when I was a kid? I don't remember that one. My sister definitely dropped me once. I remember your sister diving headfirst out of a high chair onto a hard floor, and that was fun down at the hospital. She dropped me when I was a kid. (laughs) So when Sylvia was told by Bruce's mother about Matthew, she could not forgive the wiping out of this child from his past. 
regardless of the circumstances. She just couldn't deal with it. I think you can rationalise leaving, but you're still there. You still need to be supportive to an extent, even just financially. She knew nothing. She, it, yeah. it wasn't even a case of I had a child, a relationship went wrong, I have no contact with them. It wasn't a case of there was a horrific accident and they are disabled for life. And she didn't know that. She knew nothing. And it was Bruce's mother that told her. She also didn't want to be held liable for the tax fraud he was committing, as we've said, by claiming for Matthew as a dependent. And as of March 2008, they legally separated. Bruce was livid. He fought Sylvia over everything, no matter what it was. Sylvia had actually asked Bruce if she could continue to live in their home until the end of the school year so her daughter could actually finish kindergarten. But whilst her and her daughter were away at a relative's birthday party or something, Bruce, you know, tossed his toys out of his pram well and tossed all their belongings out onto the, the front lawn. So Sylvia files for divorce. They'd legally separated. She says, sod you, divorce. Wouldn't there be some sort of protection because she has kids? No, because he didn't adopt them. They were not his children. It was literally just their divorce. He had no legal obligation to those kids. Okay, because I know that when, say, uh, parents split up from a very young age and then the mother remarries very early on and then the dad later adopts them. It's a trend on YouTube and TikTok, isn't it, where kids uh, ask to be adopted by their step-parent. And the separate parent usually cries. Oh my god, the kids accept me is kind of it's like a very heartfelt, loving moment. I was one. I wasn't sure if when they get married and you they have kids that then there's like a a, a certain level of um, legal ca- obligation or care required. No, there are rules and regulations in the UK specifically around state benefits around those kinds of things. Uh, the step parent assumes responsibility for them, even if they're not legally adopted. But if you want to adopt your stepchild in the UK you have to have the birth parents legal consent don't know how it applies in the US and I'm guessing states would be different you know state by state yeah yeah so Sylvia files court papers asking for attorney fees and $3,166 in monthly spousal support you throw figures out there we all know that why is it so much you just throw figures out there it's what the attorney thinks will stick she also wanted the dog it was an Akita, so I'm with her on that one. And she wanted to keep her engagement ring. There is very different laws in the US to in the UK. You can't get the engagement ring back in the UK. It's considered a gift. End of. But, yeah. She claimed, Sylvia claimed, that Bruce had reduced that it was up to $88,500 savings to $17,000 in two months and was transferring funds to a private account. So he'd squirreled away $71,500, already spent it. I no idea what happened to that. I know you can't pull out large sums of money during a divorce proceedings. No, but he'd done it before she filed for the divorce. But yeah, I know that even that that, that doesn't matter. Uh, if you win the lottery and then you don't tell the spouse and you file for divorce, yeah, you get screwed. The yeah. other one wins it. It doesn't matter if you've done it prior to that. It's you've done it in the expectation that this is happening. You're aware of it. Yeah. So in June two thousand and eight. Bruce was ordered to pay her. Now, we're in California, so it's a, usually a 50-50 state in this one. I think that it's minimum 50-50. Yeah. But Bruce is ordered to pay her $1,700 a month in alimony. His first alimony check bounced, and he stopped payment on the second one. Now, he's got $71,500 somewhere, hasn't he? But, yeah. So it's also in June that Bruce bought a 9mm 6-hour semi-automatic handgun. August the 8th, he buys another identical gun. 
Is he fucking dual wielding this? What's he, what's he doing? <laughs> oh, wait, you're going to love this. The same day, August the 8th, he requested a custom-sized Santa suit is made by a local costume maker with a little extra room for comfort as he was six foot four and 270 pounds. Made this, a s- this is a thick boy. Yeah. Well, he's a bit chunky when you look at the pictures. Hey, we, we stand the thick boys. Yeah. He, he, the standard suit was too small. And the costumer actually thought, oh, he wants to hide big presents in it. They thought it was actually rather cute. He told it was for a children's party and he paid $200 deposit with a promise to pick, up, pick it up and pay the rest in November. So this is August, so he's given it to November. That same summer, Bruce is fired from his job. Apparently, he'd been fraudulently billing clients for hours he didn't work. Now, how it works in the USA, when you try and claim unemployment benefit, if you've been fired from your last job for just cause... You can't claim unemployment benefits. You've got nothing coming in. Flawed system. Carry on. Yeah. So now he's got no income. The judge waived his alimony obligation. So you didn't have to pay her. I'm surprised they did that. Uh, We don't have to talk about other podcasts. Joe Rogan briefly mentioned it where he had a friend on the set of uh, News Radio. It was a a sitcom that he was involved with in, I don't know, the late 90s, early 90s. They were doing very, very well. Probably getting paid a shitload of money. This guy got married to someone, had a kid. And a judge is like, right, you have to pay X amount. And it's and it's staggering sums of money. Like, I'm not sure if it's tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then a few years later, he's like, I don't earn this money anymore. We're not on the, not doing the show. And the judge was like, your ability to pay in no way reflects your requirement to pay. So the judge is like, I don't care, you don't earn any money. You still have to pay this. And the guy's like, I don't earn that much money now. So I and and that is bollocks because you don't get that in the UK. You, I know you get that in the US, but you don't get that. Yeah. In the so, UK. so what I'm so what I'm saying is I'm surprised the judge said, okay, yeah. you, you don't have you you got fired. I'm surprised you, they're still like, well, I don't care. You yeah, you've pay. got you've got no income. You you can't afford to pay it. But this this seventy one and a half. I know I'm hung up on it, but where did that seventy one and a half thousand dollars go? We know where some of it goes to at the end, but where all of it went, I don't know. Bruce was actually thirty one thousand. Oh, it's a Christmas miracle. They sent it to Matthew, didn't he? Oh, you're looking at me funny. That's what he fucking did, didn't he? <laughs> he on. didn't. Carry he on. didn't. But he's done it again, listeners. Right, uh, don't, he's put his foot in it. Don't spoil it. Tell me what happens, because yeah. there, there could be a plot twist where it comes down the there chimney. There is a slight plot twist, but yeah. So Bruce is 31000 in credit card debt, and he had a $2,700 monthly mortgage payment to make. But he's still got that 71500 so why has he got credit card debt? But anyway. September... He purchased a third 9mm 6-hour after waiting the legally required 30 days from the last one in August. Cameron's looking at his hands thinking, where am I going to stick the third gun? In October. (laughs) Gun in the left, gun in the right, and then I'm like, and then another gun in the right. Where did, yeah, okay. In October, another 30 days after the last one, he bought the fourth one. Exactly the same, 9mm 6-hour. That same month, he visits a friend in Iowa where he purchased 16 magazines that held 18 rounds each. More than it's, you can't get those in California, it's illegal. So that's why he visited that friend. He didn't want to see the friend, he just wanted to buy the dodgy ammo. I know some states now have limits on the amount of rounds you can have in rifles. It, I think it's 10 mags now and it used to be 30, but you can, you can have grandfathered mags. So if you've owned the mags before that law came in, you can still use a 30 round. Yeah, and the maximum, but that's not and the it's, case and it's, this one. Yeah, it's 10 rounds now. Yeah, and because that's a handgun. Yeah. So it's different than a rifle. So he's got four. He's got four six hours, yeah? On November the 13th, Bruce returned to the costume place and paid the outstanding fee for his costume. I didn't actually know how much that is, but he left for a $20 tip, bearing in mind he's got no money coming in. He also purchased yet another handgun. He's got five. 
He also got his hands on a DeVault compressor, a 50-foot hose and a tank of high-octane fuel. So jet fuel, plane fuel, basically. 18th of December 2008, the divorce is finalised. Bruce was allowed to keep the house, but was ordered to pay Sylvia $10,000, and she was allowed to keep the engagement ring and the family dog. He would have still had to have paid her alimony if he'd been working, but he wasn't. Christmas Eve 2008. I happen to know he was in a local waffle house and he had waffles for breakfast. Going back to right at the beginning. And when the, I'm not sure if it was the owner or a waitress asked how he was doing, he was moaning that he was, you know, he was potless and it was a miserable time and all the rest of it. And they said he seemed perfectly and utterly normal. Absolutely normal. And this is around, what time of year is this? Christmas Eve, 2008, actually on the day. A lot of places are open in the morning to late yeah. afternoon on Christmas Eve, aren't they? So he had breakfast at a local Waffle House. At approximately 11.30pm, so just to before midnight on Christmas Eve, Bruce, dressed in a Santa Claus suit, knocked on the door at his former in-law's house in Corvina, Covina, California, about 22 miles east of L.A., there was a party in full swing, the grandparents, five adult children and lots of grandchildren, nieces and nephews. There was about 25 of them in all. Bruce had a gift wrapped package containing a homemade flamethrower in one hand and in a nine millimeter, the six hour in the other hand. He also had <laughs> one of them. <laughs> one of them. He had the three six hours, you know, tucked in various parts of his kit as well. And there must have been one other gun because he built, left in a car because he bought five, didn't he? So he only had four on his person. When the door what opened... Do you mean only? Yeah, I know. I know. It's like GTA. Why's he got so many guns? Yeah, and they're all the same. He obviously liked his six hours. When the door opened, Bruce fired the handgun at the eight-year-old niece by marriage as she ran to get, greet him. He shot her in the face. He then fired indiscriminately at all the various... You hear a gun go off and people just scattered. Scatter. Yeah. Pre police speculate that Bruce may have stood over some of the people that had gone down and pointedly executed the victims using multiple handguns because they're all the same. And I don't think that they couldn't actually check all the um, barreling on all the guns because of what happens afterwards. After all these shootings... Bruce unwrapped the package, this gift, which was his homemade flamethrower. And I've seen pictures of this thing, and it's a weird. It looks like a, um, a protane gas tank with another thing on top. It must have been actually quite heavy to lug around. Can I be really pedantic? So there's a difference between like a flamethrower and essentially a big lighter. A flamethrower has to shoot a propellant, which is usually a form of gel. That's why if you, if you see like a proper flamethrower, it shoots at this like hella long stream that's on fire, and it lands on some things like... Because it's it's a gel that is highly flammable, and then it coats it in fire. That's why it's called a flamethrower. Elon Musk made one. And it's called not a flamethrower. It's it's technically a a big lighter because it's because it, it shoots out gas that's on fire. Whereas a, a flamethrower shoots, it, it throws flame, it throws the gel that's on fire. So it's, you you are absolutely correct, but I'm guessing that the terminology was used so people yeah, could actually it, visualize it. it, it. it it's not it's out there. It's not out there with a big big lighter setting people on fire. So, no. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he used this compressor. He had the propane gas tank on top, and he had this fifty foot long hose. He used it to spray this, it, they called it racing fuel gasoline, but it's high octane, so it could have been plain fuel. It could have come from his damn boat, couldn't it, again? And he, he used it, he was wanting to set the, the home ablaze. 
They think his intention was to spray all and throw in a flare afterwards to actually set everything on fire and take everybody out that he'd either killed or just injured and maimed. They theorised that Bruce didn't realise there were actually two real fires in fireplaces in the home that he di- when he did this, as it, the place went up like a Roman candle and it probably caused a blowback. Were you going to say it went up like a Christmas tree or something? No, no. You should have done. Yeah, that was I should have done. A... <laughs> yeah. The resulting fire soared approximately 40 to 50 feet in the air and took 80 firefighters an hour and a half to extinguish. So there was a lot of fuel. Nine people died from either gunfire or the flames or the effect of the flames and the smoke. Three others were wounded. The eight-year-old girl who was shot in the face was severe, but she was, it was non-life-threatening. A 16-year-old girl was shot and wounded in the back. And a 20-year-old woman who suffered a broken am- ankle jumping out of a second-floor window. She was probably upstairs, heard it all go off and just did a you know, flying leap out the window. You can't blame her. There was one survivor who called the authorities during the attack after escaping to a neighbour's house, and that was actually the eight-year-old niece who was shot in the face. She managed. She she got out and she went to the night. You know, absolutely astonishing, brave little girl. After the attack, Bruce tried to put on his street clothes, but the Santa suit had melted during the flamethrower portion of the attack, and had stuck to his skin. That blowback I mentioned, yeah. He managed as best he could. Oh, yeah, it would have been synthetic, wouldn't it? Yes. And they're really flammable. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And he kept the half-melted suit as he actually had a plan for it. He'd actually hired two vehicles. And he'd arrived at his former in in this hired vehicle, which was apparently a Dodge Calibre. And he drove that to his brother's house in a place called Silma, which is about 30 miles away from the crime scene. His brother wasn't home at the time. It was probably lucky for him he wasn't. It comes out afterwards that Bruce had fully intended to kill his mother for telling Sylvia, his wife, about his son Matthew, and according to him, Bruce, causing the divorce. He was also very pissed that she sided with Sylvia during the divorce and even sat in the courtroom with her family whilst the divorce was actually being heard. I don't know if he was going to his brother's for help or to kill him. No one knows, to be honest, because there was actually no notes discovered. And we'll get into why, because he didn't intend for the final resolution, as we shall say. Bruce gets into his brother's house. And when Brad gets back from the party he'd been attending around 3am, he finds Bruce dead on his living room floor with a self-inflicted gunshot to the head. He'd actually put the one of his multiple six hours in his mouth and blown his brains well, out. If he's gone in there with the guns, I imagine it was to kill his brother. I suspect so, but no other speculation about that. Yeah, I just think he hated everybody. Brad had no idea that Bruce was there. He had There was no car belonging to Bruce outside, and there was no strange car in the driveway because Bruce had actually parked that rental, that Dodge, about a block away from his brother's house for a very specific reason, which, again, is why I think he fully intended to kill his brother. Police arrive, obviously, because Brad's like... My brother's dead on my living room yeah, floor. A, What's going on? There's a half-singed Santa on my floor. Help yeah, me. and he's got no idea. There's a the one of the six hours is in Bruce's lap, and there was a second one on the floor. And they found police found a bullet hole in the ceiling. And at the time, they seemed to think there'd been some sort of a shootout. There'd been another person actually there. But I'm guessing the pain and the shock and buyer's remorse. He fluffed his first couple of shots about trying to kill himself. I. Do you say buyer's remorse? Yeah. 
you know, what have I done? Yeah, what, a, a, what a bit, am I going to do? I don't, I don't think it's buyer's remorse. Well, you but know yeah, what it's, I mean. It's the you emotion. I mean. But yeah, I mean, you've, you've, you've set your balls on fire. And yeah. You've melted your trousers to your legs. So police have what they think are two unconnected cases miles apart until they talk to one of the survivors from Covina, one of Bruce's ex-sister-in-laws, who recognised Bruce under his costume. She was one of the survivors in hospital. So the police go back to Brad's house and realise the car that was there was the car that a neighbour had reported seeing driving away after the original massacre. So they, they put two and two together. This dead guy, crispy guy, is who we're looking for. Around the same time, a man reported a mysteriously, mysterious car parked in front of his Pasadena home. Police ran the plates and found the car had been rented by Bruce Pardo. So that's the second car that he'd rented, yeah? Although the car wasn't rigged, it was packed with supplies, including a computer, clothes, water, food, and maps of the US and Mexico. Police believed that Bruce had been planning on escaping to Mexico after his killing spree. The car was actually parked about 500 feet away from that house of Scott Nord, who was Sylvia's divorce attorney. Police believed that Bruce might have been planning, or I'm pretty much with him on this, a murder in Scott. The lawyer was absolutely astonished when he found it out. He said the divorce was completely non-contentious and very, very, very ordinary. But Bruce was obviously seriously, seriously pissed that, at this attorney. It was initially believed that Bruce had intended to flee to Canada by plane since he bought an airline ticket on a flight on Air Canada. However, it was subsequently discovered that the flight itinerary on Northwest Airlines was from LA to Illinois with a layover in Minnesota. Bruce had called days before to tell that original high school friend that he'd gone to see back before that he was going to visit again. But they didn't think that, the police didn't think that this was really true. They thought it was a diversion tactic and he was actually going to jump in a car and just go off to Mexico. But, Suffering from severe third-degree burns on his arm, stemming from the blaze, Bruce decided to go against the additional plan, as we said. The police found $17,000 in a cash cling film. It was... They, they were, like... They're, they're like... they're like cling film wrapped, then wrapped to his legs. Yes. Yeah, it's like a stocking. In yes. It, or like a garter. Yes. With money in it. They called it a girdle, but it wasn't. He just used cling film to... Wrap this why, money. Is, why are they around your legs, though? Why would you take them with you? To go through. Maybe he was going to go through. Air, maybe he was going to catch a plane, go through airport. But it wouldn't show up on an X-ray. So, he, so he's well, clearly melted, melted the Benjamins from his legs, hasn't he? Partially, yeah. But his arms so, were the worst. So what I'm questioning, why were they on him when he did the firing thing in the first place? Because I assume, because he's dressed as Santa, isn't he? Yes. So was his plan to kill them all, dressed as Santa, have the shit on him at the time and do right. as Santa, and then run away? As Santa. Yes. Because who would recognise Santa on Christmas Eve? No one's going reco- yeah, but, but but no to recognise you anyway because no one knows who you are. If you did it dressed as Santa, you've then got five-star wanted levels. You then take off your Santa outfit. You have no wanted levels. Okay? Going back to the video again. Why was it on you? I'm not being funny, but you're driving about in a car, right? Put it in the car. I'm not in his head. I don't know what his logic was. I don't agree with all of this stuff he's done up to this point, but that one is fucking stupid. Don't do that. Well, remember I said that he he peeled off as best he could this Santa suit, dressed in 
in ordinary clothes. And this Dodge car that was parked near his brother's house apparently was rigged up with his remnants of this Santa suit, which was probably soaked in fuel. And they thought that it would detonate because they used the term black powder, and I'm assuming it would be gunpowder or something. And they they weren't they weren't sure what was going to happen with this car. They didn't know whether it was rigged to blow. They actually just blew the whole damn thing up. They got the bomb squad in and they just blew it up because they. So whatever evidence it was, was in it, it was safer to do that. Yeah. yeah. They found um, four 13 round capacity handguns that were empty and at least 200 rounds of ammunition. And it, yeah, they, they say they blow the whole thing up. Now, Bruce's house in Montrose, the one that he'd originally shared with Sylvia, they recovered five empty boxes for semi-automatic handguns, the five that we talked about, two shotguns and a container for high-octane fuel tank stuff. And they also found what was described as a virtual bomb factory in his house. So I'm researching this one. I, d- I don't know was he sp- I don't know what was in his head. Former roommates or college mates are not really in a position to say who he was when this went down, are they? He's in his late 40s or mid 40s at this point. They described him as a lovable goofball who loved his toys. But then colleagues and friends started to describe him as irresponsible, which he was with money. And neighbours felt sorry for him, was moping about, saying he was financially ruined and he was jobless. But the man was highly skilled from all the past reports, I'm guessing, but I'm thinking he was just damn lazy. Uh, could have got some sort of contracting job, but if he kept getting fired, would he pass the background checks? Probably not. I mean, we also know in the next following years from there's a recession here, so he probably wouldn't have been able to get yeah, contracting jobs. It, it certainly wouldn't have paid what he'd been earning before. So many of them mention his attendance at church and how religious he was. But Again, that doesn't mean anything. No, it doesn't. But they all seem to think he was. And was he a good actor or was he a nasty bastard? He actually reminds me of John List, to be honest. And I'm pretty sure a lot of listeners, you're looking at me all completely blankly, but a lot of listeners will know who John List was. Um, I actually think he was absolutely architect of his own demise. One good thing to come out of all of this, we go back to that money, Yeah. His mother was probably his legal next of king because the divorce had been granted. And she stated that when they disposed of all his assets and recovered what they could, the remainder of the money would go towards helping Matthew have a life as best he possibly could. So, as I said, she was a good woman, his mother. Due to the intensity of the fire, the original fire, identification of the victims was done with dental and medical records. At least three victims' deaths were caused by gunshot wounds alone whilst four others died from a combination of both gunshot wounds and fire, or the fire effects. Two other deaths stemmed from the fire alone. A total of 14 children lost at least one parent in that massacre that night. It's kind of hard for me to say anything funny about that, for the most part. I I usually chuck in a little punchline or an inappropriate comment, but you can't when there's been 14 kids that have lost a parent. Yeah. Exactly. Um, on Christmas. That'll not, ruin it. I'm not really sure how to take this onto a slightly lighter note because a lot of podcasts around Christmas, I do like a, a Christmas quiz. So I had one where I, I mean, I did very, very little research on this. So I just Googled, I just Googled true crime quiz and I'm going to ask you the questions on the true crime. It's not um, Christmas themed at all, but this is as best as I could get it. Okay. So I'm gonna, I've got some questions for you. I have no idea. What, I had no idea yeah, who's going to yeah. do this. No, you didn't. It was completely. Oh, no. So the first question is, which serial killer enjoyed dressing up as a clown and working charity events? Is it Ian Brady, Dennis Radder, or John Wayne Gacy? John Wayne Gacy, clown yep. killer. 
He went as a name. He went by the name Pogo the Clown. Yeah, told you. Which Saint Valentine's Day massacre is associated with which famous criminal? I'm not even going to give you. If you don't know the names, I'll give you the suggestion names. Oh, uh, the it was one of the mafia ones. Uh, it, what, you're right. Yeah, oh, flip. I can picture it. Right, I'm going to give. The, I'm going to give you the suggestions of the names. Okay, it's Al Capone, John yeah, Dillinger yeah, Jr. Yeah, okay, it's Al Capone. Al Capone. Yeah. yeah, Capone's men killed eight people that day. Yeah. Right. Uh, which man was the most prolific known serial killer in the United States history? Gary Ridgway, Jeffrey Dahmer, or Paul Knowles? Ridgway. Yes, he's known as the Green River Killer and has yeah. netted at least 49 victims. In Chicago, criminal H.H. H. Holmes had a house yes. in Chicago. What do you mean, yes? I know, I just said that. <laughs> a house in Chicago that eventually bore which nickname? The Dungeon, Murder Castle, or Fraudville? Murder Castle. Yes, he may have been responsible for hundreds of murders. What yes. the fuck? I thought... Yeah, because they're not confirmed. Oh, okay. Yeah, everybody knows H.H. Holmes. The one before that just said something in its yeah, 40s. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which serial killer claimed that a demonic dog commanded him to commit murder? Oh, that was the black... That was... Oh, flipping heck. It's another one. I can picture his yeah. face. Um, wasn't this black, on... It was the neighbour's dog. It's a black Dahlia, wasn't it? Something? No, no, that's not black Dahlia. It's completely different. She was completely dismembered, bless her. I could... Oh... I can picture the guy's face. I can actually see him and I can't I remember I his name. I, I, I've known a few of these. Okay, so it's Dennis Radder, David Berkowitz. Or Berkowitz, Bobby, Berkowitz. Or Bobby Joe Long. Um, but no Bobby Joe Long at all. Uh, correct. He was known as the son of Sam and he killed six it, people. That was it, son of Sam. Sam was the next door neighbour's dog. Yeah. What was that series that we you'd watch on Netflix? Is it Mindhunter? Yeah, Mindhunter. He was in that, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how did the angel of death kill most of his elderly patients? He drugged them, he smothered them, he drained them of blood. Well, there's multiple angels of death. That's unfortunate. But I know, he would have drugged them. I know this one. He would have drugged them. Yeah, he drugged them. He was a nurse and he claimed that he... Rev- would he, that be... It It doesn't actually give a name to this. It just says correct answer. He was a nurse and he claimed that I he was... I want to say name, but I think it's Cunanan. No, it's not. Kuna- Andrew Cunanan was the one who killed Gucci. Yeah, carry so, on. I'm going to ask you like, like two more questions. Because you, you said... Because I paused this for a second. <laughs> and you like, only asked me like five. I've done more than five. And you're like, I like this. Um, <laughs> how long did it take... To exonerate the Central Park Five of sexual assault, thirteen oh, years, horrific. seven years, or five. It was the lo- the longest one. So th- thirteen. Yeah, said. at least. Yep. Yeah. They were finally freed after being accused of attacking the famous Central Park jogger. Yeah. So the last one is, uh, what was the IQ of the trash bag killer who confessed to thirty-two murders? We covered that in an episode. Yeah, but uh, come on, I do not remember that. He there is no he, chance. He considered himself genius level, didn't he? But he wasn't. So is it, I mean, IQ is just your ability to pass tests, isn't it? It's yeah, the difference exactly. between intelligence. Was it 70, 100, or 180? He thought he was 180, I think. Yeah. Yeah. His high intelligence helped him elude capture for, capture for years. That did it help? That was it. I think I actually remember that. Now, wasn't, yes. Wasn't he, didn't he, was, was he gay? Yes. And he didn't, he like, kill his, yes. I, I, that's bringing flashbacks now, because in my head, when you, when you describe these, I, I literally form an image in my head. Yes. Of almost a CSI tier storyline in my head. And I remember that one now. Yeah. So that's that's all the questions I'm going to ask you for that one. If you look at me like, oh, I want more because you got them all right. You're like, I look, I look clever about true crime. None of that was planned, by the way. Mother, no. didn't, mother didn't know I was doing this. I nearly had a meltdown. I've got yeah. cold sweat yeah, running down my back. Like, oh shit! What about if I don't know any of them? <laughs> I look really bad. But yeah, uh, that was the, the little true crime quiz at the end. Yeah, the place I got that from because I feel like I should say uh, was HowStuffWorks.com. That was just the website I got it from. Yeah, so maybe you want to play with those with your family over the festive season, or perhaps not, because they all think you're a weirdo. Uh, that would be a good, uh, like, mer- not much, I guess, as a product to bring out, wouldn't it? Uh, there are quite a few of them that and, do and, these and things. I, I know that they do puzzles and stuff where, yeah. where some famous murders have happened, but you could do a, like a Trivial Pursuit type thing for there, true yeah, crime. Yeah, there are, there are games out there. I might have to buy one, actually. 
So to end our episode, we will, as per usual, end with the victims who should not be forgotten. Sylvia Ortego Pardo, age 43. Alicia Ortega, age 70. Joseph Ortega, age 80. Charles Ortega, age 49. Sherry Ortega, age 45. James Ortega, age 51. Teresa Ortega, age 52. Alicia Ortiz, age 46. And Michael Ortiz, aged 17. So that's the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for sticking with us for the whole year. And we'll be back in 2022. Yes, we will see you next year. Have a wonderful Christmas, everybody, as much as you can. Try and enjoy yourselves. But above all, stay healthy. Stay sexy, stay safe. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Me Monday Podcast and email us at Podcast at gmail.com. Peace. Bye. Bye.